Okay, subscribers and listeners, quick update. I wanted to say thank you for the continued prayers for my daughter, who was recovering from the Delta variant COVID. She's still in critical condition from the virus, but at least you can visit her now. Thanks, everyone. subscribers. Thanks for joining us tonight. We had a lot happen here in New York and that's what Dorothy and I, Catherine, as your hosts, plan to discuss. This is our Community 2 podcast. Now we begin. Okay, good evening on this August 10th, 2021, when the unthinkable happened today. Hey, Dorothy, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Catherine. How are you this evening? Uh, doing good. So we had a lot of a uh, lot of uh, excitement here in New York and Long Island. We did. What a day. What a day. What a day. My phone has been off the hook. Um, I'm sure so is yours. Um, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of excitement around here. Let's start off first with uh, Governor Cuomo resigning. Yeah, I saw that coming. Did you? Uh, yes, because I believe that the impeachment process would have been, you know, painful, expensive to the taxpayers, not that he would care about that. But I believe that some of the skeletons, additional skeletons in his closet would have come out during the impeachment process. Well, um, the thing is, is that I heard that they will um, pursue the impeachment impeachment process only because after that. Yes. He won't be able to hold office again. So I believe that's the intent because, I mean, he does really have a lot to be, um, he's, he has a lot of impeachable offenses and um, mm-hmm. especially with the nursing home scandal. Yes. Where 15,000 seniors had died because he put in COVID patients into the nursing homes and they restricted the families from seeing their loved ones in the uh, nursing homes. So again, and this is really, really important when you put a loved one in a nursing home or rehabilitation nursing home and nursing homes do have that stigma of um, like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, even though that was a uh, a psychiatric uh, movie, but this is the same thing because they know the families aren't gonna be there to see their loved ones the parent, I mean, the patients do not get the care and the attention that they should be getting because they know no one's going to be checking up on them. So there was a lot of um, elder abuse that went along with that and neglect. And then we have the 11 sexual abused uh, or harassed, I'm sorry, the 11 women. Mm -hmm. And um, then the book deal that he wrote supposedly on uh, taxpayers dime. What do you think, Dorothy? Let's start with the uh, nursing homes. Oh, most definitely. We, you know, here on Long Island, uh, we witnessed the fact that the U.S. government arranged for two major U.S. Navy ships, carriers. Uh, They're basically hospital ships, one on the West Coast and one here on the East Coast. That was the perfect opportunity to Cuomo, for Cuomo to have uh, affected many transfers uh, from hospitals to make, you know, space for COVID patients instead of uh, moving these patient elderly elderly individuals into nursing homes. So, for example, 
uh, we already talked about this on a former podcast, but the level of care on a you know U.S. Navy ship, the tr- level of training of Navy physicians and nurses is extremely high. Uh, there were uh, discussions with de Blasio because, again, the ship was ported in New York City. Uh, many of us were frustrated. One of my very dear friends, her mother passed away in a nursing home after having been transferred from a hospital, was um, on a respirator and passed away in the nursing home. The family members were not allowed to go to the nursing home. They did not get reports. They weren't even allowed to video call with her. It was horrific to watch my friend go through this with her family. I attended the funeral. It was really the first COVID funeral I had attended. And then again, they're trying to get records, Catherine, from the doctors about her care and, you know, obviously without disclosing her name. And it's been a legal struggle for them, despite the fact that my friend is an attorney herself. Yeah, that, that's, that really was insane. Um, him transferring all the COVID patients in there. And then of course, um, you and I, we know Tracy Alvino, who is one of the directors in Voices for Seniors, who has been very uh, vocal and um, been an advocate for the seniors against Cuomo. And she is in her glory today because with him resigning, but of course, that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal was for him to stay in and to become impeached. And I just think he knew that was just that was just coming. And I know everyone, uh, most of them wanted him to stay in just for him uh, for that alone, because he was on his way out next year anyways. Yes. um, And he wasn't going to be able to run again. He knew it. I knew it. You know it. Everybody else knew it. Yes, it was the inevitable. And I don't know if you caught Fox report. They did a very detailed report on Cuomo last night that included many of the statistics and facts, fact pattern of the nursing home situation. And Tracy was in the video. Yes. uh, Yes, I did see that. As a matter of fact, I referred uh, someone that I know her father passed away. And so I referred her to join, uh, to reach out to Tracy and to join Voices for Seniors. Um, I, I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I don't have that luxury to take care of my parents. They passed away, uh, my father in 07, and my mother uh, a couple of years ago. So I really didn't have that luxury. And I often get kind of um, envious when I see someone my age taking care of their parents, like taking them out shopping or out to eat or running errands. I really would have loved to uh, have done that. You know, um, I know everyone says they don't want to, you know, really take care of their parents, but you know what? I really did. I, I always wanted that closeness that I didn't get a chance to, uh, to get. So, um, and a lot of people did not because of, of COVID of, of what uh, Cuomo did. He tried to make it sound like he was saving the day, but, um, and then fudging the numbers, oh, you know? Gosh. So on the outside in the very beginning, yeah, he looked like a hero, but slowly he was becoming a zero. But many of us, you know, who are sort of in the trench trenches or who work in a professional capacity and corruption investigations, et cetera, you know, we we know that Cuomo shut down the Moreland Commission when he found out that there was at least one investigation of him. Uh, there are people in Buff- the Buffalo area. There's a woman in particular uh, whom I know, Mary Ellen, and she was a very successful p- female contractor business owner. Uh, experienced horrific corruption. Uh, we've seen here on Long Island uh, quite a few cases. Um, I, ha- I actually have an open case of a, um, a child support enforcement case uh, dealing with overseas. And I had gone to C- Governor Cuomo, goodness, years ago, probably 2008, 2009. 
and asked for his assistance from, from the governor's office because it required uh, certain New York state laws to be invoked um, for overseas enforcement. So he yes. was aware of that. And I also at one point, I think it was 2015 or 16, I, um, was, I spoke with Chris Cuomo before he moved to his current role. Um, he was at a different TV station. And, uh, you know, he, I briefed him on the, on the Gilgo case. We'll talk about that a little bit later on this podcast. But he was very interested in knowing who the players were and where the parties were and whose houses. Uh, he said, you know, I'm going to talk to my brother about it. And then he texted me over Easter weekend and I said, well, my goodness, you don't have to text me, you know, to holiday weekend. Are you, are you with your family in Brooklyn? Or maybe he mentioned I'm in Brooklyn. And I said, no, no, please go enjoy Easter, you know, with your family. Right. And, you know, at the time I was really looking to Governor Cuomo's office to help me with what remains the second largest child support case in all of New York State. <laughs> so, yes, have had personal dealings with his office. Uh, I wasn't surprised about his mannerisms and having a certain level of sort of beauty or good looks uh, when he hired people. That's that's been coming out over the last couple of days. Uh, really? I don't like I have many Italian American friends and Italian friends. I don't like the fact that you said it's an Italian thing. It's so insulting to the Italian people. But uh, no, he crossed the boundary. He. Uh, did not act in a professional manner. If he had done that, let's say, as a managing director at J.P. Morgan Chase, he'd be long gone. Absolutely. And any kind of uh, banks, corporate, uh, any type of that facility, he would have been long gone. Somebody would have complained. But because he acts like he's the godfather here in New York, head of a big crime family, um, I think he thought he was above that. I think he, um, somebody must have given it to him to where, he was using that as a um, way out that because he's Italian and uh, that's an Italian way of uh, greetings and goodbyes. And, you know, in the Hispanic culture, we are the same way. You know, if anything, we sometimes we kiss on both cheek, um, both sides of the cheek, give each other a hug and everything. Um, but it, that's all that ever went. It was never anything, not once that I ever took it a different way. It, it's all family and friends and neighbors. Um, but sure. for him to say that is uh, that was very, very insulting. I think he's trying to pl blame it on the uh, stereotype. It also highly right, offensive. Yes. And the woman, you know, his personal assistant, the one who came, has come on the recent days about that he put his hand up her blouse and grabbed at her. That is disgusting. Um, you know what? It is disgusting. Right. And, and you know what the thing is, is that I've been through this and you know that. Mm -hmm. I, it's very, these women are brave and because they weren't aligned with one another. So each one came out on their own, but it's very scary, especially any type of man that holds a position of power. And in, in my case, a, a minister. So of course, everyone believes, you know, that ministers are, they're supposedly, you know, same thing with like a governor, they're supposedly on the up and up. And when something like this happens, you are in a state of shock. You're ashamed. You feel humiliated. Mm -hmm. And you feel like if you were to talk about this, no one's going to believe you. And so that's why the, the pattern, it continues because mm -hmm. the victim isn't saying anything, doing anything. It's not because they welcome that attention. It's because they don't know what else to do. They don't know who to turn to, who will believe them. 
And rightfully so. Some people are actually going against these women saying, you know, this and this and that. But until you've been in that or know someone close who's been through that, you, you don't know. And it's it's true. You, you, you don't know what to say. You, you're just like dumbfounded until it gets to your breaking point. And that's when you mm -hmm. report it. And then you find you got to explain everything that happened. Relive every detail. And that is humiliate. I, I'm sure with these women, even though they're much younger than me, even for me, it was very humiliating. And then to testify and say those things again while everybody's watching you. Yes. So it's very, very hard. And people yes. don't understand how brave these women were because look who they were going against. Of course. Of course. No, I, I've seen that. Absolutely. I mean, I have a, a big trial coming up, uh, you know, in the next year or two uh, to testify against a man on Long Island who is extremely powerful uh, with extremely powerful family connections, which could be connected to Cuomo, but that's to be determined. And I think one thing that really hit me on this Spoda case, I'm sorry, excuse me, Cuomo case, <laughs> Cuomo Spoda day, what can I say? I know, um, I said, we'll, we'll you know get I mean? to him in a minute. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they are. But but the one thing that really uh, appalled me in the story, articles that I read about Cuomo's victims is that one of the women who had worked for him, she had been the victim of a sexual assault. And then he said to her that he had someone in his family or someone he knew who also was, and he asked her in detail about what had happened, almost in a, in, a, in a creepy way. And then she realized later that it was really inappropriate for him to ask her th that level of questions. Those are questions that a psychologist or even a detective investigator would ask, not the governor, not your not your colleague, not your and boss. Not, and certainly, yes, yeah, certainly not your so boss. She, she later remarked that she realized you know, that he had exceeded his boundaries of what is appropriate. And I do believe that more women will come forward, Catherine. I think so, too. That's why they're doing uh, outer investigations in the out of the uh, Albany down to Westchester and even Nassau. Yes. So they're really looking into them to seeing if any more women will come out. I don't know if they will. Some people, you know, some women, they don't want to go forward uh in uh, a criminal uh, prosecution because they just don't want to be bothered with that. They just want to live and let live and just let, put it behind them. And well, not I think go well, also, Catherine, I said either their family, it's harder in their family. It's emotional. It's it wrenching, or, you know, that heart wrenching to, to relive it. And, and also if they're a single mom and they rely, they have a job and they don't want to be ostracized or, or laid off or whatever the reason is, I mean, the Nassau County District Attorney, Joy Smith, she has already uh, requested records from Albany. Now, what is really strange is that Suffolk County DA Tim Sini has not requested records from Albany about Andrew Cuomo's whereabouts and activities in Suffolk County where A, he is friends with Billy Joel. We know, all know that for a fact. B, his brother Chris Cuomo has a home in the Hamptons. And C, uh, Cuomo has been to his share of act, of uh, activities and events in Suffolk County, including fundraisers for the DNC. So we're all wondering why Tim Sini has not requested these records. You know something? I I, I used to campaign for Tim Sini. And did, I think, yeah, you're the one that sent me the uh, tweet from uh, Councilman uh, Dwayne Gregory when he um, openly... Uh, 
posted or tweeted that uh, he is for supporting uh, what's his name Ray and uh, Ray Tierney. Okay, I'm so sorry. I, I should have known that That's Ray okay. Tierney yeah. running against Tim Sini that he knew he was supporting Ray Tierney or he still is. Yes, and he could not support Tim Sini because he knows him too well. Yes. What the heck? Yes, indeed. I was floored with that and that's also not i don't want to add not only was i floored but that is deeply disturbing to read and very troubling and of course there's a backstory to this but we're going to go ahead and, and wrap this part up with cuomo because we have the other part that maybe not so that's not so well known but it is here on long island yes okay so we'll see what happens with cuomo so what do you think is going to happen to him do you think he's going to go in handcuffs cuomo oh yeah. i think he's going to ride out his two weeks he'll be a transfer over to our lieutenant governor they've already named the new lieutenant governor uh who i've um don't know personally but i've read about her work over the years here in new york state so that's good she's african-american toward two it's interesting no, right? no, female no, no. governor who? wait a minute Back yes. Up. <laughs> yes 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 so exactly. the lieutenant governor right current lieutenant governor will fill the shoes of of andrew cuomo once he leaves his post. Right, right. Today they announced the um, the new lieutenant governor to take her place. Oh, so, okay, okay. So that is, let me just pull it up. Um, that just came, the news came out about an hour ago. <laughs> it's like things are happening so fast. They are. They're fairly fast. Uh, why don't you just continue as I pull up her name? I okay, don't, uh, so it's going to be Kathy Hochul that's sure. going to take yes. over for uh, Governor Cuomo. I, yes. I've read a little bit about her. Yes. Um, so she does have some achievements under her belt. But um, mm -hmm. as far as uh, she's like right there with Cuomo, as far as being a Democrat, I mean, she shares the same values and uh, ideologies uh, with him. Yes. Yes. So I haven't had a chance to hear who was going to be taking her place as lieutenant governor. Yes. Yeah. I, I just haven't been up on the news. I, I was listening to the news and reading it all day long. Yes. So I, that part, I, I must have missed that. It must have come on after four. Uh, yes. It's, um, oh boy. So I, I get so many emails flying. That's in. okay. No, it, no, we'll no, get, no. We'll get okay. to it. She's Westchester County, I think. She has like a double last name. <laughs> Oh, okay. No, hey, anyway, no it's more. fine. It, it probably came in through one of my um, news alerts, but nonetheless, uh, yeah. So we're we're looking forward to a transition. Uh, the uh, LILM, for example, they had already planned to go up to Albany uh, to go to um, to yeah, going to New York. To people who LILM. All right, so LILM is Long Island Law Majority, uh, which has really taken a strong stance in terms of. Uh, you know, support for our country, for the Constitution, for the values of the founding fathers, uh, a true, you know, patriot movement here uh, in New York started out with Thursday nights in Belmore, uh, really expanded. And now they've also been really instrumental in supporting uh, the efforts in Smithtown to expose critical race theory, the Marxist roots. It's, it's, um, I would need hours to go through. Yes, yeah, you know, so it would be. It, it, right, yeah, I'm so. not, right. And I spent a lot, just for the, the listeners out there, I spent a lot of time in Eastern Germany and uh, behind the Iron Curtain in the 90s, 80s and 90s, uh, before the, well, obviously before the wall fell. So it was mostly 80s. Uh, in Hungary, I got to see firsthand how socialism and communism works. 
how appalling, you know, anyone who wants to learn more about it, watch um, a terrific movie, uh, you know, based in East, East Germany uh, during commun, you know, during the communist rule under Eric Honecker, but it's uh, a system, you know, I don't need to tell those of you who are listening, whose families, families are from Cuba, but fast forward. Yes. Yeah, so that group LILM, they're having a big event this Friday and they have a speaker coming in uh, from Virginia to speak about, you know, registering people who are actually unregistered voters voters in New York. And they're having a big event uh, in Ronkonkoma. Uh, and then on Saturday or Sunday, they're going to Gracie Mansion uh, to okay. hold a rally in front of uh, Mayor de Blasio's uh, residence. But this is all legal. You know, they're allowed to have a rally. Yeah. But, yeah, so there's a lot there's a lot going on. <laughs> okay, so the next big thing here is um, the Long Island serial killer, that whole uh, mess. So today was the sentencing. You want to take it, Dorothy? All right. So today was the United States Department of Justice in federal court in Central Islip on Suffolk County. The sentencing for former Suffolk County District Attorney Thomas or Tommy Spoda, as well as his uh, head of government corruption bureau or unit, uh, Christopher McPartland, otherwise known uh, by those of us who dealt with him directly as Christopher Prince of Darkness McPartland. <laughs> the, uh, try not to laugh, the uh, Judge Azrak, she sentenced spout out of five years federal jail also mcpartland and then spouta has to pay one hundred thousand dollar fine by january 2022 all of their respective families were there uh the judge was it was interesting she allowed uh well the main the main victim of all this you know christopher Loeb. he spoke he did a stellar job in his speech before the judge your honor. And then a few other people spoke who were victims of the Spoda regime when he was district attorney for you know, decades. And uh, the defense, respective defense attorneys, you know, made their statements. And then I, I left early because I, I had to get back to work. Uh, nonetheless, uh, it was a large turnout. Robert Trotter was there. Um, he, he spoke. He did a great job. He was former, he's now retired Suffolk County PD detective and serves, as you know, as Suffolk County legislator. Uh, it was for those of us who've been personally impacted by um, Spoda McPartland and Jimmy Burke corruption, a very important day of justice, a day that we have waited a very long time. Um, as I remarked to uh, former Suffolk County Sheriff Vincent DeMarco, who was there and now holds a role in the federal government, you know, I said, Vincent, um, you know, this is chapter one. And he said, I know. And the reason I said that, Catherine, is that there, there are additional layers to this criminal syndicate. I mean, they literally call themselves the administration. Like, what is this, an HBO movie? They, they, they really, <laughs> True, I know, I know, it's great. Like, now, oh, you if you go that... against the administration, I mean, really? It's like a, like a, like a mob, mob rule. It is, and it's so insane. Now, do you think they got appropriate time for their uh, sentencing? Yes, because what she did was she really aligned it with what Jimmy Burke 
um, James from Suffolk County Police Chief James Burke had uh, what 46 or 48 months served his time. Then he was in a halfway house. She gave them like I remember I was looking at my notes. She gave Spoda a two years um, a release, you know, supervised release. The uh, difference here was that Spoda. Uh, was a district attorney and prosecutor. She she actually she actually quoted. Um, it was really really good. She quoted a former Supreme Court justice uh, in both of the cases when she read the sentencing. And despite the fact that COVID is an ongoing issue with the Delta variant, uh, Spoda's defense attorney uh, made a request due to the fact that Spoda has some very important medical appointment. And so they, they have to actually report. It's really interesting. People are walking out and say, I don't understand. They were just sentenced. Why don't they put them in cuffs and put them, put, you know, take them to jail, transfer them because to jail? Because it's usually in, in situations right? like that. Usually they do. But so, I mean, because they're really not going to be um, a major threat to society. Like they'll, they'll, they'll show up. I believe uh, Spoda has to turn himself in to start serving a sentence December 10th, McPartland November uh, 10th. So they know that they, because really, honestly, they're they're mm-hmm. going to show up. What, what else are they going to do? Well, I mean, what go? It, yeah, I understand that, Catherine, but these two people are very powerful and so well connected. I was surprised that she did not require them to turn over their passports. What, she doesn't think they're flight risk? That, I, I don't know. Powerful? I think they're very well known, but powerful? I think they lost a, quite a bit of their power, don't you think? Uh, yes, but they still are, you know, well connected. Okay, that, let's just leave it at that. So yes, the bottom line is that she aligned the sentencing term with what Burke had been given back in 2016. Uh, and in addition to that, there were some other fees that they have to pay. But I think, you know, the two female assistant U.S. attorneys, Laura and the other one, they both did a great job. And you know, Chris Loeb was impressive. He came in and had a nice suit. He spoke uh, eloquently. Uh, and I'm sure it was very hard for him. I, I can't even imagine. But one thing that came up during today's session, Captain, that I didn't know is that Loeb had been drugged when he was 10 years old. And that led to his uh, drug addiction. Um, and also one other thing I noticed when Laura spoke about the items in Jimmy Burke's duffel bag, Mm-hmm. Let me just get my notes because I, I was thinking to myself, oh, come on. This again, no one saw, no one other than Chris Lope saw it. So again, it's all hearsay. I'm right. um, just looking at my notes here. So she mentioned, you know, the items that were in Jimmy Burke's duffel bag, Viagra, sex toys, CDs of a rude adult porn, like rude adult porn. Whereas someone else mentioned that it was a snuff film of one of the Gilgo Beach victims. I think it's the latter, to be honest with you. Yes. So that I found that interesting that uh, Laura, the assistant U.S. attorney, if that's her proper title, I believe it is, uh, had had, men, had used those words. Nonetheless, uh, knowing the power that they wielded over the years, knowing that they called the shots and was really fascinating. And maybe I should have written a memo to the judge. Their reach, Catherine, went beyond Suffolk County. They were able to call Thomas Dale and John Capice, who are then respective Nassau County Police Commissioner and Chief of Detectives and get wi- and have whistleblowers and witnesses arrested 
on false charges. See? But I'm not worried because all of that will be coming out in the next chapter, as I discussed with the former Suffolk County uh, Sheriff Vincent DeMarco, who, by the way, I thanked him because he was one of the first people I went to in 2012 when I was really um, starting to put together all the different layers, you know, of Spoda and McPartland. And then I had another, a woman had come to me uh, you know, Margaret Besson and given me that, you know, shown me the literally shown me the medical report related to her son, which she's spoken about on the radio show with Frank McKay. So um, I'm, I'm not telling the listeners anything that isn't already public information. And then I literally called uh, Keating, who was assigned by SPOTA to investigate Stuart Besson. And, you know, Keating was just it was incredible talking to him. He said, you know, Dorothy, I prosecuted child sex abuse cases and I said, yes, I understand that, Mr. Keating, but you really need to look at this medical report of Stuart Besson. And uh, it was squashed, Catherine. It was squashed. And those children, those children never got the justice. Hopefully one day they will. Uh, I pray for Margaret and her children. Uh, it definitely goes, you know, it's basically Spoda, McPartland and Burke. And then it get, goes to the next layer of Steve Ballone, Tim Seney. Robert Strickoff of Oak Beach, uh, and Robert Cutherson, Cuff, Cuff, but you know, the guys who play golf together, all chummy chummy. And Margaret speaks about this as well, you know, the chummy chummy Stuart Besson connection. But I'm sure more information will be coming out over time. And that's what it all, it's going to take uh, some time because uh, these people know how to co- uh, cover their tracks. And, um, use dummies so i really believe it's going to take a lot but i think it's common knowledge of what's going on around that circle don't you feel that way because i i feel like i it, it totally is i took uh, as i mentioned took notes today and i some of the quotes by the the judge were you know that she talked about you know orchestrated she talked about uh, 2011 advanced Burke's bid for the chief of Suffolk County police. Now remember that was Spoda, Steve alone together. In 2012 Spoda engaged in a cover up, which was the crime, issuing threats. Uh, the Queens DA was, you know, special prosecutor. Uh, she, she said, you know, they they tried to thwart federal investigation. I mean, we know Jimmy Burke kicked the feds out of the Gilgo investigation. Uh, they issued threats to Lieutenant Hickey. He was one of the key people who had testified. And I believe that's actually going to be a separate prosecution. I read that today. Um, I think it is. I think it is, too. Now, do you have any type of updates on what's going on with the LISC investigation? I do. I do. Shocking criminal conduct. Yes. Um, in terms of Long Island serial killer investigation, there's one key item that, um, you know, anyone who follows the case and anyone who's actually a family member would be very concerned about and that is when Suffolk County police handed copies of the the Shannon Gilbert's 911 call Catherine it was ascertained that two to two and a half minutes of her 911 call are missing now one of the suppositions uh, is that she named names and that part was cut and also when she made the phone call from inside Joseph Brewer's house on May 1st 2010 in the small beachfront community of Oak Beach, which is town of Babylon, Suffolk County, uh, she was so scared. And she stayed on the phone for quite a long time. They could not ascertain or determine her location. 
allegedly she was using some type of flip phone that didn't have the technology capability to what to do what's called geolocation. Uh, so they could not locate her. Uh, so they switched the they switched the call to another uh, either whether it was Suffolk County Police could have been either Babylon or the Firehouse or possibly even the Marine Bureau. Now remember the Suffolk County Police Department Marine Bureau, and I know some of these guys who go around in Oak Beach and and Overlook Beach and just keep an eye on things, making sure people don't violate you know the maritime law and take certain you know starfish and or they're not drinking or doing drugs. In Oak Beach, in that parking lot, you know they're always monitoring. They, uh, one of those officers, uh, Catherine, responded to the night. Three, there were three nine one one calls made that night when Shannon Gilbert went missing. That was uh, by Gus Coletti and Barbara Brennan, and well, obviously Shannon herself. And the Suffolk County Police Department Marine Bureau officer went to the gate and spoke to Brewer. He said, "You know, I was here alone, and I, someone was," and they just basically walked away. So Brewer uh, later admitted in a deposition that he had sex with Shannon. He lied to the police and said he did not. They went on a short trip. No one knows if they actually went to CVS in, that, in West Islip, which is now South Down Grocery Store, or it just replaced the CVS, or if they actually went somewhere within the Oak Beach community to get drugs. So there are a lot of open questions about that. And um, I do believe that Shannon's murder. I don't do not believe she drowned. I believe she was um, strangled. Her hyoid bone, as we mentioned before, by the autopsy done by Dr. Baden determined it was, um, it was, you know, damage to the hyoid bone and possible strangulation. So well, that is, I, I believe that yeah. too. I think something freaked her out. And um, I don't believe she drowned either. I just, I, I just find that's just too easy. I'm sorry, but Gracie is here with me. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, hey, it, ha it happens on work phone calls, et cetera. Um, the other thing I was looking at the timing today when Judge Azrak was speaking about, you know, Spoda and McPartland and when Spoda called, you know, called in, wanted to know who the snitch was. You know, that was soon after Gary Melius was shot. Now, Gary Melius is the owner of Rohika Castle. In February 2015, a man exited a car and shot him once through the glass and twice. I, th I don't think the second bullet took and then ran back into his car and left. There were allegedly no place on the car he was driving. And he went to the hospital. Many high-level people went to visit him. He was at, I think it was at Manhasset LIJ, which is now Northwell at the time. That was February 2015. Um, they believe, they, they, I believe they're one or two suspects they have in mind who who, who may have um, shot him. But I found it really interesting that just soon thereafter, you know, Spoda was calling people into his office to find out who was snitching. That's insane. That is so insane. And you know what? I just want to add for people who are the only place that I see this, uh, not bashing, but uh, not praising uh, of what we're doing is the Reddit community, which is, I find that whole community is just so appalling. Just some of the people on there, it, it's just crazy. Instead of just, you know, like, let's talk and get to know one another so we can actually have ideas of what happened. You know, it's always good to listen to conspiracy theories because sometimes they really are true. Right. You know? I wouldn't give it too much heat. So if you look at the timestamps and the dates, it tends to be a lot of the same people and they just change their usernames. And that's the thing. So, you know, and, and I've, I've certainly made my share of enemies. Uh, on this case, you know, if you don't think for one minute that Chris Wolf wants me dead, 
listen, he tried to kill me twice. Uh, and one of the comments was, oh, how can she speak so openly? Does she think that's her defense? If you think for one minute that Chris Wolf is going to approach me or my children, um, think again, because he knows that I will have, like, I will literally call Commissioner uh, Cameron Stewart, Cameron Stewart, sorry, Stewart Cameron. Um, and I don't need to call the police commissioner. I have enough people, um, you know, to protect me and to whom I can file or order. I just, would I would just get my It would really be really, really stupid for Chris Wolf to do that. It would be it my really, fifth, or, it really, fifth, it really fourth or, I can stop pounding my fourth or fifth order protection against him. If Marciano ever, you know, ch uh, challenged me or, or threatened me in any way. Um, but, you know, I want to tell you this little interesting case, aspect about this case. Someone who told me back in, say, 2015, you know, talking about Jimmy Burke and kind of protecting him has kind of come around. And he's a retired Nassau County police officer and he was a U.S. Marine. And he said, you know, Dorothy, um, you were always a great mom. I always knew that about you. I saw that. I observed it. You're doing the right thing. He said, I definitely, you know, I agree with you. There is a pedophile um, cult or pedophile ring here in Suffolk County that's related to a lot of the illegal sexual um, trafficking, sex trafficking that was going on here. And to, to hear it from someone who had a very senior position in Nassau County Police Department, you know, was very reassuring. That, and it has to be validating too. Uh, yes. And someone I really respect. So, so back to Spoda and McPartland, you know, obviously they're going to be able to spend time with their families. A big theme that was driven home today was, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed, ashamed that's been brought to my family. Uh, my legacy, you know, Spoda always pr had pride in being a prosecutor and the district attorney. And then I thought, well, if you have so, pr so much pride in your job, you know, why did you act in such an unethical manner? You know what? Just like everybody else who become, um, let's say, flipped in a way, I think they all start out good intentions. And then along the line, when you have power, it just that determines on the type of person that you are, because people with power, when they have the good intentions and they have the right character, it stays with them. But sometimes mm -hmm. when you have that power and you get tempted and you go that direction. Yes. That's who you are. Right. So, so right. Putting out, you know, creating a, a culture of intimidation, threats. Uh, definitely sex trafficking, many girlfriends on the side, drugs, parties, going to strip clubs, keeping basically having a secret life separate from their family, which must be really challenging. I mean, Hickey spoke about, you know, the girlfriends that he had and had right. to sit down with his family. I mean, that was that was I, I mean, I just watched him up on the stand, you know, that was December 2019 before COVID started and it's incredible you know these are these are grown men and what she said today was you know we have we respect the police we have to have we have to have faith in our public prosecutors we have to have faith in in these individuals who've been granted so much responsibility and she said i want to send a message out to every police officer judge uh district attorney that this, this level of corruption is not to be tolerated and no one is above the law. That's true, Dorothy. I think we're going to have to wrap it up. We spent uh, a lot of time, but we did some uh, valid um, updates. Um, I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to talk about Valva. I know that
I know a lot of people are still outraged and angered yes. for where this investigation is going because we don't hear anything, um, of course. So that's why we still keep talking about it. So maybe somebody will get angry and find out what's going on. It's important well, to say that I have reached out, and I know you have too, to our county executive, Steve Ballone, to find out how the investigation is going. What can they let us know? But um, I have yet to get a call back, an email back, any kind of response back, even a text. Haven't gotten anything back yet. So I have a clue what's going on with that investigation. Exactly like how are they restructuring um, that system and how do we go from there? So maybe right. that's well, something we could talk about next time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they talked about CPS reform. I've really yet to see it. And the other issue is, uh, you know, there were two cases this past week, Catherine. There was a family court case for the supervision of the children, and Justina was able to dial in from Poland, I believe. And then Thursday was the criminal court one where I was really disappointed. The assistant district attorney, Carrie Ann Kelly, she didn't give the link to Justina in advance. They have to start treating her with the respect that she deserves. She lost her son. She fought for justice. She exposed them. She went to the FBI. And uh, so that's going to be, uh, again, in September, Catherine, when the judge decides whether they will have a joint criminal trial or they will separate um, Angela Polina from Michael Valva. And then also on the Gilgo case, I wanted to mention, uh, we are making some headway. I'm speaking to a friend of Warren Silverstein. Warren is um, a classmate of Joseph Brewer's. And I'm speaking to a friend of his uh, about, mm-hmm. about, um, you know, what the goings on, you know, at that home. Uh, and also, as I mentioned before, the two to two and a half minutes of Shannon Gilbert's 911 call. Um, and then we're also going to be delving into some phone records of certain police officers to, uh, to, to determine where they were that night. Uh, and I think it's going to come together. Uh, people want to know, there are a lot of theories out there. Was it a killing club? Was it a single, single serial killer here. If so, he's really smart because he's been able to kill people going back to early 80s like Tina Foglia all the way through to 2016. Or is Gilgo Beach just considered kind of a dumping ground? Um, I do believe that there's one main person. Um, I do believe that he um, was severely abused and neglected as a child. Uh, But we'll continue the conversation on the next podcast. All right. Thanks, Dorothy. Have a good night. Thank you. You too. We know at Her Community Today podcast that you have plenty of shows to listen to. So we thank you for your loyalty to this podcast. And for our small businesses, we have two shout outs for our small businesses, our local and our national. Please visit our website at www.her-community2.net and submit your local business info or your national business info. I would love to shout out your small business for free. Or if you are local on Long Island, also invite us and we would love to experience your business firsthand and speak about it, also totally free. Till then, please leave a review, rate us, and hit subscribe. And connect with us on Facebook and Instagram under her-community2. Take care. And listen to you next time.